People say I am the best boss. They go, we've never worked in a place like this before. You're hilarious. And you get the best out of us. Um, I think that pretty much sums it up. I found it at Spencer Gifts. Remember when people used to say boss when they were describing something that was really cool? But now boss is just slang for jerk in charge. So Ryan got promoted to corporate where he is a little fish in a big pond. Whereas back here in Scranton, I am still top dog in a fairly large pond. So who is the real boss? The dog or a fish? Would I rather be feared or loved? Um, easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. I mean, without a doubt, that is my favorite line in that sequence. Would I rather be feared or loved? Well, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. You know, uh, the, the sitcom The Office is a, a hilarious thing to watch because it plays out the dynamics of the workplace and the vying for position and the realities of the internal wrestles that naturally happen in us as we are trying to figure out in the world where we fit and what our role is and how we find value and whether we matter and whether we're equal or unequal. And we live in a world with people around us trying to do the same thing. And so all of us are naturally constantly looking to see what the next level is into which we can step in position and authority so that in essence we can functionally live in a place where we lead, where we decide, where we are in charge. I mean, that's really what we all deep down inside want from the time we're little is to be in charge. We just don't like not being in charge. And, and we project that out specifically in our cultural context into the idea of positions and leadership. Uh, that's why our culture values so highly the idea of the leader. And we value so, uh, so non-highly the idea of servant, right? I mean, the person serving Eh, you know, whatever. The person leading, ooh, wow. And so what we do then as a culture is that we honor and we serve the leader, right? When the leader walks in, everybody straightens up, gets there. Oh, oh the leader's here. Oh, lead, lay out the red carpet. The, the leader's here. He, he gets to fly. She gets to fly in the first class cabin rather than back here with all the servants, right? That's how our culture functions. And so our culture then begins to tell us uh, what's important and what's not and whether you're equal or valued or whatever else by position and by uh, the, the, the space you fill in any kind of organizational reality that has relational dynamic. We do this because of the human story that began in the beginning of time when God created us in the Garden of Eden. He created us, as many of you know, uh, in this beautiful relationship with this beautiful purpose of experiencing his freedom, his love, his relationship with us to such an extent that it fulfilled all of our needs 
for equality and value and significance and, and being loved and loving. All the things we fight for, that relationship covered all of them. So we enter into the relational dynamics with one another in a space where we're already free. So now the relationships just become a space where we can purpose out whatever God wants for us. And so we became images of the creator and sustainer. We imaged God in all that we did. And God even began to establish relational dynamics that reflected his relationship with us so that every time we were together, we would be reminded of God's incredible created relationship with us. We were convinced to pursue our own divinity by God's enemy, uh, to run after our own stuff. We bought into that lie. We ate of the forbidden fruit. We didn't find divinity. We found death and corruption, darkness and bondage. We found fear and shame. And suddenly we were driven by two human dynamics. We wanted to find something that would fulfill us, something that would fill that great void in us, something that would make us significant, make us valuable, make us matter. So we are constantly seeking out that which will save us from our insignificance. And simultaneously, we continue to pursue our divinity. So we want to be the boss in charge of all things while simultaneously being saved by something. It's a beautiful and horrid reality for us, right? And that bleeds into how we now pursue our lives in relational dynamic in our homes, in our workplaces, and it bleeds into our biblical community. Suddenly, position matters a great deal because it informs you on your value and your place where you fit, your equality in the entire story. The gospel comes into the story, the gospel being the story, the reality of Christ coming to redeem that horrid uh, dynamic of ours and to say, no, 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 I'm going to rescue your soul back to freedom, make you significant because I came and then out of that significance, restore your purpose to your created purpose to live to image me and to demonstrate my freedom, my love and my story to the world. And he comes and says, I'm going to make it all new. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to inform you about who you are in me. That identity is going to establish you in freedom. And then you can live out without this crazy dynamic of pursuing something that will make you important. And Jesus comes and says, man, I, I got a plan for you. And then he begins to rewrite uh, our dynamic in our homes and says, don't, don't listen to the cultural ideologies on how a home works. Listen to the kingdom ideology because I'm rewriting that. And then he rewrites our biblical community and goes, I'm going to tell you how a biblical community functions under this freedom. And we have the New Testament church emerging and how that uh, relational dynamic occurs. And he rewrites our dynamic with the world, how we deal with our enemies, how we deal with our, our employees, how we deal with our bosses, how we deal with strangers, how we deal with others. And he goes, don't listen to the world anymore. Uh, listen to me because I'm rewriting this story. Trust me when I tell you how to live this out. Because I created this with a plan. He created the human relational dynamic to constantly be a display of who he is. And so that we work in a complementarian way together in every relationship. Becoming a display of God when we do it together in the appropriate manner. 
And that's what he does. Now he says to us, this biblical community that I'm going to be establishing in this freedom, uh, it's, it's going to be the church in the New Testament context, and this biblical community, she belongs to me. She's mine, and through her, I'm going to write my story. He calls the church his body. He calls the church his bride. As we talked last week, if you missed it, podcast it, uh, man, uh, our bodies matter to us. The, our brides matter to us. And my family, you, you, you come and try to hurt them, or you come and try to hurt my body, and we're going to have issue. You try to take my car or my house, I'll, I'll be a little, a little disappointed, but basically I'm going to go with whatever. J- just, just leave me and my family alone. And, and Jesus says, this is my body and my bride. I am the head of the body. I am the groom of the bride. So he goes, listen, let's just be abundantly clear here. This thing called the church belongs to me. It's my body, my bride. So I get to do with the church whatever I see fit, whenever I see fit to do it, in any way I see fit. You do not get to lead this thing. You do not get to own this thing. You do not get to use this thing, because if you do, guess what you're doing? You are using my body and my bride. What do we call that when somebody uses your body or your bride? Uh, we call it names that, that, that cause you to go to prison, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what that is all about. So Jesus says, I want you always to remember, I am the leader of the church. I am the pastor of the church. I am the elder of the church. I am the deacon of the church. I am the God of the church. I am the sovereign ruler of the church. She is mine. Don't mess with her. So if we're going to step into a discussion on leadership and the dynamics that God created within the biblical community of leadership to function, we have to begin with this clarity. Every human leader in the church is nothing more than a Christian, a qualified, mature Christian, servant of Christ, following him passionately and telling others, follow me as I follow Jesus. Any human leader in the church is a bond servant to Jesus, telling others, I'm following him passionately. Why don't you follow me while I follow him so that we can both stay close to him? You understand that? If we miss that, everything else is gone because then we're gonna be right back in the cultural ideology of vying for position so that you can be honored and looked at well and it will become about you and me and we will be in deep trouble because we will be messing with the body and bride of Jesus for our own satisfaction and our own honor. And I don't want to be standing in those shoes. I hope you don't either. So what Jesus does then is that he calls into this community uh, people that he says he wants to shepherd and serve the body and bride of Christ in such a way that she becomes beautiful and dynamic and mature, loving him and ready to present herself to him, mature and perfect. That's actually in scripture, that the leaders in the church who are the servants of the bride are called to shepherd and to serve the bride of Christ to make her beautiful. So the great honor 
that we have is that God is going to call us into a leadership dynamic for his glory and the beautification of his bride as servants of the Most High God. That's where leadership begins. Now, as God tends to do in our structure all the time, is he always creates for us a dynamic that shows us now functionally, here's how this plays out. You've got the idea, your your eyes are fixed on the gospel, you're filtering all of the dynamic he's about to unpack through the gospel, for the gospel, you understand who you are, every one of you, including me, servants of the most high God, ready to serve, and now you enter in and say, okay God, how do we do this? How does the relational dynamic play out in the biblical community so that we can affect this wonderful and, and honoring cause for your bride and for you? And that's where God begins to lay out how it's going to functionally happen in the church. It's laid out in multiple places, but the place that I think begins our journey is summarized in a single verse. You don't even have to turn there, but you're welcome to. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and um, he writes the introduction this way that clues us in to the structure that God is affecting within the relational dynamics of the biblical community for leadership and for service and for maturing of the entire group. Listen to this. Paul and Timothy, verse 1, chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Where did we begin? Here's Paul and Timothy, Paul being really in many ways a huge leader in the global church in this, in this context. And what does he start with? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Let's just begin there. Then he goes this, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And right there in a single moment, Paul tells us, here's how the structure plays out within the biblical community called the church in terms of who is playing what roles. That's it. One, we're all servants of Christ, including me. Two, to the saints. So he he distinguishes the group of the church. He says, when I'm writing a letter to the church, I just want you to know I'm writing to the saints. The saints are those human beings that have come to recognize by God's grace the reality of the redemptive work of Jesus and have by faith received that work as their own and said, I can't attain my own righteousness. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I would rather just live under your righteousness. They have become saints not because they are self-righteous but because they live under the perfection of Jesus. So we who know Christ are the saints of the church. By definition, Paul distinguishes this because a church gathering uh, in a city should always have among it saints and seekers, always. If it is a healthy church, it is the saints of the church are living such a life that others who do not know Christ are intrigued by what they see and they're coming to say, I want to be part of a place like this. The love here, the friendliness, the, the joy, the, 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 the transcendent of circumstance, all these dynamics that I struggle with, you guys seem to live in a different world. You see things differently, and it seems to bring incredible realities of freedom into your life. I'd like to know more. You ought to have that group of people always in your midst. So the saints are leaders of the church. They are, in essence, those setting the pace for those who don't yet know Jesus. 
Beyond the saints then, there are two groups he specifically pulls out. And to the overseers and to the deacons. So we see in the relational dynamic of the church in leading the bride into beauty and maturity, you have the saints doing some of the leading, then you have the overseers doing some of the leading, and you have the deacons doing some of the leading, and they all have very specific and dynamic roles that are then unpacked throughout the rest of Scripture. The word overseer here, which is the role we'll start with, The word overseer is synonymous with, it is interchangeable with some other terms in scripture because you see them used completely interchangeably in multiple parts of scripture. The word pastor, the position and role of pastor, the position and role of elder, the position and role of bishop, the position and role of overseer, these are synonymous with one another. When you hear those terms, they are one and the same. It doesn't matter if you're reading the term elder, overseer, a pastor, or bishop, they are the same term. So you have that group of people, and Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes a set of qualifications in order to step into that role. The saint has a qualification, right? What do you need to be in order to be a saint of the church? Well, you need to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and have submitted your life to his story and growing in the passion and maturities of becoming more like Jesus. If you don't know that, we love you to death, but you don't qualify as a saint. You are part of what we've all been part of, which is a human being vying for position, trying to figure out who on earth you are and dealing with the dynamics of your deep need for rescue and your deep need to be in charge. Well, we've all been there. We all still even struggle with that. But Jesus has rescued our soul. That's the qualification for saint. The qualification for overseer, those who are going to shepherd the saints and the church as a whole as the seekers come together. Now that changes the game. Because these are the pace setters, not for the people that don't know Jesus exclusively, but also for the saints who are to do what? Grow in passion and maturity in Christ-likeness. So the overseer must play a very different role in terms of the standards by which they are called. And Paul writes and says, to be an overseer is a big deal. There are two places in scripture where he lists out the qualifications for the overseer, the elder, uh, the pastor, the bishop. Those are found in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in the book of Titus chapter 1. We are going to focus on 1 Timothy chapter 3 because the lists are identical, but let me just read to you really quickly here uh, what we have going on here, okay? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he writes these words. Verse 1 on page 643 of our Bibles. The scripture will also be on the screen if you'd like to read it there. This saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up 
with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. I mean, are you overwhelmed? I'm overwhelmed. I mean, that's not a small list. It's not like, well, he's got to be a decent guy. No, 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 no. This is a big deal. If you flip over to Titus, just so you know, when when you read Titus, uh, he says this. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what reminded... uh, Uh, Put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold fast to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Allow me to summarize for you the list, if you will, of what it means to step into the position that God calls people into to oversee, to shepherd, to pastor the people of God. Okay, here it is. This is a summary of what we've just read. In relation to God, you must be a man that is above reproach without any character defect that is obvious. Not perfect, but we ought to look at these men and go, there's nothing really concerning about them. We don't look at them and go, that's a real concern. There's just no pattern in their life that demonstrates concern. Do they make mistakes once in a while? Yes, but, but there's no pattern here. There is just a pattern of character that is above reproach. They need to be able to teach when they are speaking out the scriptures. You ought to go, this person knows what they're talking about. They've clearly studied. They've clearly understood. They clearly have a handle on the word of God. When you deal on any topic within the scripture, there's a clear sense of how the gospel plays into the story. This this person can handle the scriptures. And when they speak them to you, you kind of feel like you know more than you did before they should not be a new convert they should have been round the block with Jesus you understand you should talk to an overseer elder pastor and go you just seem to know Jesus I mean you really do when we talk about Jesus it seems you really hang out with him like you've been with him you've followed him you are a disciple of Christ in the real way three years into the story sitting with him by the fire a lot Because every time you talk about Jesus, it's just like, whoa, can you tell me more? That ought to be true. In relation to family, a husband of one wife, a one-woman man, sexually pure. This is not a requirement for someone to be married. It's saying whether you're married or unmarried, you ought to be a one-woman man and sexually pure, guarding the covenant of marriage, whether in marriage or pre-marriage. You are constantly looking uh, for a display of the gospel in your relationship with the opposite sex. In our culture, this is a big deal, right? I mean, this is not normal anymore. Submissive children, a successful father, not perfect children, because if that's the case, I mean, I'm, I'm done. Let's go home right now. I mean, if you want little kids in a little row behind you like little ducklings, you're like, hey, look, when I, stop, stop, go, go, it's awesome. Well, then, then we're dead in the water. But you ought to be able to watch the life of an overseer, an elder, a pastor, and go, 
this person is highly engaged in the leading and raising and caring and loving of their children, constantly teaching, constantly weeding things out and putting things in, constantly involved in making the life of their children a life that follows Jesus, constantly sharing with their children the realities of God and the gospel so that their children know. You ought to see progression. You ought to go, this, this person clearly deeply loves and is engaged with his children and then manages their family well, provides well, leads well, organizes well, loves well. The elder, overseer, pastor should not be someone that you're constantly going, dude, I mean, your family's constantly struggling. I mean, there's no, there's no management organization. You, you, you provide here and there haphazardly. You're constantly in trouble uh, trying to figure out how to make it all work. This is not about being well off. This is about what God gives you. You steward well to cause your family to live in their circumstances in a manner that provides for them well. Listen to this. In relation to self, I love this. As, as I summarize this, think about this. Sober-minded, mentally and emotionally stable. I mean, in, in, the, in the American culture, at the speed at, we, we, at which we live, I mean, have you driven in traffic lately? Emotionally and mentally stable. Every now and then I'm in traffic and I'm like, Renault, you're, you're an overseer, bro. What's going on up there? Because it's like, oh, we're going to kill people. Right? <laughs> There's a lot now culture that keeps testing our emotional and mental stability. It doesn't just happen naturally, you gotta work at that. You gotta keep your mind fixed on Jesus, you gotta stay there. And so the overseer is someone that's mentally and emotionally stable. Not perfect, but stable. Self-controlled, a disciplined life with sound decision making. You ought to watch an overseer and go, when they make decisions, I, I mean in general terms, they're good ones. They're not always perfect, but good decisions. You don't generally watch an overseer and go, oh my, oh my goodness, what was he thinking? That should not be a normal experience in any way, shape, or form. And if you ever have that moment, what was he thinking? Right afterwards, when the whole thing plays out, you, you ought to go, oh, I get it now. You, you see, there ought to be the sense that when this guy makes decisions, generally speaking, if you're going to put your money somewhere, put him on that decision. And generally, they're, they're, they're right on the money. Not a drunkard. This person needs to be without addictions as a pattern in their life. This is not about singular events. This is about patterns in our life. That a person who has addictive realities in their life in any form ought not to be an overseer in the church. Oh, saint, yes. Uh, space setter, yes, but not overseer, elder, pastor, who, whose bar is higher, not a lover of money. They ought to be financially content and upright. This is not about how much you have. This is about how content you are with what you have. You see the difference? An overseer can be very wealthy or an overseer can be very poor. That's irrelevant. An overseer is content with what they have and manage it in an upright, gospel-centric manner. They steward their finances well. In relation to others, they are respectable, worth following and imitating. I ought to look at my kids and say to them, if you want to be like someone, be like him. And that ought, that's an overseer. You understand? That's the person I say, I want to be more like that person. Their relationship with God, their relationship with others, the way they live life, the way they father, the way that they, they love their wives, the, the way that they live their life, the way they make their decisions. I want to learn from that. That's how you ought to feel. 
They ought to be hospitable, welcome to strangers, and especially non-believers, people that don't yet know Jesus. They ought to be able to relate well with a large scope of humanity because they are hospitable, not because they like everyone. They are not violent. They are even-tempered. They don't have a short fuse. You ought not to bump a overseer or elder or pastor's car as you back out of the parking lot and scrape the mirror and have them jump out of the car and go, that's not supposed to happen. See, what's supposed to happen is that these, these people are supposed to be even-tempered. Do they lose their temper on occasion? I do. When my kids have pushed me beyond the brink of sanity and I'm tumbling into the darkness, uh, yes, there are times I go, but that's not a pattern in any way, shape, or form. In fact, those moments are so unusual that everybody freaks out. So what just happened to Renault? So odd. And I go, you happened to me. But that's another story. <laughs> they ought to be gentle. Words for gentle are words like kind, gracious, loving. Not quarrelsome, but peaceable. Not divisive, but unifying. They ought to be well thought of by outsiders, outsiders, not people in the church. If you bump into an overseer, an elder pastor, they, and you go out of the church into the regular world, people there ought to go, I've, I've hung out with this guy, he's awesome, he's awesome. So that is an incredible list that God is calling us into. It really is the list that represents a person walking in the Spirit, full of the fruit of the Spirit, making decisions by the Spirit. And what do we call that person? A saint who is mature. You understand? So what is the overseer? The overseer, the elder, the pastor, the shepherd is a saint who is mature in their journey with Jesus. So they're able to say, Follow me as I follow Jesus. And because they're mature, it's not about position. It's not about where they fit. It's not about honor. It's the privilege of serving the body. The overseer, the elder, the pastor is tasked with a long list in scripture of what they ought to do. That list boils down to three primary things. They ought to provide for the church uh, with teaching and sound doctrine and, and living life in a manner worth following. They ought to be the people that are leading the rest of the church into gospel-centric living, missional life, and devotional life with Jesus, into greater passion for Christ. That's what they ought to do. They are the providers of all that God wants for the church, calling us into things. They are the protectors. There's lots about stand against false teachers, stand against false doctrine, protect the flock, stand in the gap, watch over. And they are to lead, to, to take uh, what is ahead and to uh, blaze the trail. To, to chop away, to step in first, to go where no man has gone before so that others behind them can go with a sense of certainty, going, I think we know where we're going because someone blazed a trail. They are the providers, the protectors, the trailblazers for the body of Christ. That's an incredible thing. Now, as you read the qualifications in both those chapters, you notice something. I'm sure you have. If you haven't, you're not listening totally detailed, which is fine because nor do I, so I'll bring it to your attention. 
in this particular set of qualifications, all of the language is language in the masculine, right? The father, the husband, the man. Uh, these are the kinds of things said here. So we begin to ask the question, it begs a question, is this just language where you just choo- chose a gender and gender is irrelevant, or does this make a relevant point to gender? That's a great question. So in order to really dynamically unpack that, we have to ask ourselves, are there other places where qualifications are listed out or other places where a pattern of gender becomes part of the relational dynamic that God set up in order for us to make the gospel beautiful? And what we begin to see is that there's deep evidence of some things happening here. In the qualifications for deacon, which we'll get to in a minute, there is actually, oddly enough, a set of qualifications for the male, the masculine figure, Then there's a set of qualifications for the female. Then there's a finishing set of qualifications. And then there's some rewards, which apparently the elders don't get. The the elders have no reward to this other than the fact that it's a noble task. The deacon's actually like, yeah, you get a reward. And so in the deacon qualifications, there is a very clear uh, and intentional, here's some qualifications you guys better have. Ladies, here's some qualifications you better hold. And so in the elder, it was not accidental that there was not a mix of reality here. So you start going, hold on, is the elder pastor position then a position that the scriptures intend for the male in the church, the masculine figure? And if we say yes to that, then immediately our cultural ears perk up. Inequality radar. Ha ha! Paul is a chauvinist. God is insane, and the Bible's written by men. Yeah, I, I, I get it. That's where we tend to go. You know why? Because in our cultural context, we are driven by equality informed to us by position and by the reality of being honored. As soon as there's a position that is not available to anyone in our culture, immediately inequality is a truth, except for the fact that we started with God saying, don't ever look at the dynamics I set up in a culture cultural standard or a cultural viewpoint because you're going to get all bent out of shape. I am not caring one iota about what the culture thinks, God says. I care about the gospel being displayed in the relational dynamics I create. So God begins by displaying himself as the father of all of us children. He is not a masculine God in his essence. He reveals himself as father because he has created a order that displays the roles in which we play. And the truth is that the father husband role in any normal setting has a particular calling to it. Protector, provider, and trailblazer, right? I mean, that's the way it ought to be. Our culture is messed with that in a big way, so we're not really sure who we are anymore. I don't know. But that's actually dynamically the way we're designed, even physically we're designed that way. Yes, there are some very strong women. My wife's an aerobics instructor, I think she might be able to kick my butt. But the the point is, uh, I am designed to be the guy that stands in the gap for my family. If it's three in the morning and there's noises downstairs and I hear a door open, I don't go, I'm scared, honey, can you go check who's downstairs? Am I scared? Yes, very. I'm not going to pretend. Oh, I don't care. I'm going to take him down. No, I'm like, I'm going to die. 
But this is what I do. I go, you stay here. Get under the covers, crawl under the bed, sneak out and go get the kids and hang out in the closet. I'll go down. If you hear something go badly and you don't hear my voice, call 911. And I go down shaking to death, but that's me because I have been tasked with protecting my wife and family. If something happens and somebody comes at us, I don't have Brooke go, bam, in front of me like, I'll take him. I go, yeah, you do. No, I go, whoa, through me, through me. And that's how God designed it. While simultaneously, my wife leads and and drives and, 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 and manages and protects and executes in our family in massive ways. See, God designed the relational dynamic in community to be complementarian to one another so that we together reveal the realities of God's dynamic relationship with us. He is protector, he is provider, he is trailblazer. We are the privileged protected, the privileged provided for, and the privileged followers. That's our privilege, by the way. I'd much rather be the guy walking on the clear trail than fighting the tigers off. And that's how God designs it. Even within his very essence, he shows us this. He shows us that equality has nothing to do with the way you positionally place yourself in relational dynamics. In the revelation of God, he reveals himself as a triune God in Trinity. The reason he does that is because he wants to demonstrate to us that he exists not in singular but in community. In other words, he himself as one is also community. It's an impossible reality for us to wrap our minds around because we exist in isolation and we only experience community when we're together. God actually is community. That's one of his character dynamics. I am community. And community revealed to us is revealed this way. There is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are totally equal. There is zero inequality there. This is not an issue of equality, an issue of even the realities of how they fit in hierarchy. But yet, the roles they play are fascinating. The Son, always revealed in Scripture, is doing the will of the Father, trying to serve the Father. The Spirit is constantly raising the sun up, bringing the sun glory and making the sun known. And the Father is giving the Son the name above all names and bringing glory to the Son. Each of them playing a dynamic, complementarian role within the essence of pure unity and equality. And then he creates that within the home dynamic, husband and wife, both equal and yet both dynamically playing a beautiful role. And then he pours that into the biblical community and says, for the sake of the gospel, I am going to establish a relational dynamic that continues to play out the track that I have laid out as provider, protector, trailblazer, and then as those who execute, who lead, who dynamically manage the realities of the trailblazing. That's how it functions out. And so God says, men, woman, listen, you're totally equal. I love you equally. I created you equal. And I put you together in every relational dynamic to work complementarian with one another. There are three primary biblical, I mean, theological views 
on the dynamics of men and women in the church in terms of leadership. Because it's a big question. What does this mean for women in leadership, right? If the elder position is a, a position that God is creating for the masculine figure as protector, provider, and as trailblazer, where does the woman fit? Well, the, let, me, let me tell you. It's pretty awesome. Watch this. The first view that you'll find out there a lot is called the egalitarian view. The egalitarian view is the view that men and women were created to function side by side in ministry, working together to manage and lead the church into beauty, and as they do that, they, in every position, in every office, gender has no bearing whatsoever on what is available to who. Zero bearing. Gender is an irrelevancy in the questioning whatsoever. That's the egalitarian view. They say, men, woman, ignore man, woman, and just go serve, go lead. If you have the gifting, if you have the ability, if you're called, do it. The hierarchical view in the church, the more conservative side, though I don't like that word because this isn't really liberal, conservative, moderate, but the more conservative side says this, that men and women were created for two completely different roles in the church, absolutely, totally different. Men are to lead men, women are to lead women and children. So therefore, any ministry within the church where a man is going to be led in any way, that is any teaching ministry, serving communion, um, uh, leading a, a ministry as a ministry leader that has volunteers that are men, any part of that, a woman should not be leading in those places. The woman should only be leading, only be serving in places that are exclusively other women or children, and then they have ages for when a child turns into a man. That's the hierarchical position. The complementarian position, which you might call the moderate position if you want to use those secular words, is a position that says this, men and women were created to serve side by side in ministry in multiple dynamics, including both men and women. Men and women are gifted to do multiple things, including managing, teaching, leading, all of those things. So men and women are designed to complement one another in ministry. Women should be part of serving the church by serving communion, by leading ministries, by doing all sorts of wonderful things, even teaching in multiple capacities within the church, even when men are present. But there is a singular office in the multiple different arenas of leadership that God, for the sake of the gospel and the dynamic of relationship between him and man, preserving the home of husband and wife uh, dynamic that he created there, a singular office that he, not for inequality or equality purposes, but for gospel, passion, and protection, provided as, a, as an office that is for the men in the church because they are to protect, they are to provide, they are to trailblaze. And that position is elder, pastor, overseer, that's it. Not, not God of the church, not leader, not ha in charge, no, no, no. Christ follower, bond slave, saying follow me as I follow Jesus, that position. Now, the deacon position, on the other hand, is a phenomenal calling. The word deacon is also the word servant, right there. Deacon, servant. And again, ding, our ears perk up. Aha! Leader for the men. Servant for the women. No, 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 no. Whoa! Cultural eyes off. Gospel eyes on. Do you remember who we follow? We follow Jesus. You remember that? 
The other day I was standing in Oxum Coffee, and as many of you may know, uh, Brooke and I are very involved in the realities of Oxum Coffee because we started that place. And so when we walk into Oxum Coffee in the cultural mindset, we are the leaders of that place. And so what do we get to be? We get to be honored, and we get to be uh, shoved to the front, and we don't have to pay for anything, right? Isn't that how it works? And, and then I come into Oxum and I stand in line and it's a long line and it's tick tock, tick tock, the management needs to move it here. And I'm standing there and I'm standing in line the other day and, and one of my friends go, oh, well, you're standing in line, you, you know? And, and I, I, it bursts this beautiful conversation. They were just messing around with me because they know me well. But I said to them, you know, it's a, it's a good point. There, there's nowhere on planet earth I like standing in line except at Oxum Coffee. Because at Oxum Coffee, when I'm standing in line, I'm standing in line because I don't have to, but because I want to. I choose to. I don't have to. I can skirt the line. I can go behind the counter. No one's going to argue with me. But I, I, but I don't have to do that. I, I stand in line because I can. I stand in line because I, it's an honor. Because my rabbi did this. See, I said to them, I follow Rabbi Jesus, and Rabbi Jesus came to planet Earth not to be served, but to serve. Not to kill people, but to be killed. See, he should have killed us and we should have honored him, but instead he served us and died for us. And if I follow Jesus, then I want to live a life that is constantly saying the best place to be is as servant. Paul writes, I want to share in your suffering so that I can have the greater resurrection as well. See, uh, Jesus was our servant. And then Jesus was the one that said in in the kingdom's view, the servant is the greatest in the kingdom. We just still don't get that, right? Oh, we hear it. Oh, your servant's the greatest, but I want to be the servant. But he goes, listen, if I call you into servant position, you, you ought to go, me? Really? I, I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. And so the deacon, the servant of the church, is the position that he goes, listen, the people that serve my bride, I only pick trusted people to do that. So the qualifications in the scripture for deacon are very simple. If you have a heart to serve, come serve. Don't really care. Just as long as you're kind of a saint, you're good, right? No. No, you see, that's not the qualification. You'd, you'd think so. Culturally, you'd go leader, overseer, long list, mature, follower, but, but servant. Just, just come. Good heart. Christ follower. No, no, no. The list for servant, for deacon, is massive and detailed. The list is also found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and what I'm going to do for you is, uh, it'll be up on the screen, but I'm going to summarize this list for you just for the sake of time. Here's the list, okay? The list for qualifications for deacon. Listen to the list, right? You can read it there. Here's the summary. Uh, Someone who is dignified, worthy of respect without character defect. Do, Do you remember that one? Does that sound familiar? No character defects that are noticeable that you go, there's a pattern. That was in the elder list too, right? Listen to this. Not double-tongued, sincere, heartfelt, earnest, honest, authentic. Not addicted to much wine, without addiction, self-controlled. Do you remember these? These were in the other list, right? Sounds very much like an elder. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Not a lover for money, financially content and upright. Oh, another elder deal. Holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Sound biblical theology held with deep convictions. Another elder reality. You ought to know the word of God really well. Tested, proven over time. You don't get to be a servant uh, for the bride of Christ unless people have watched you for a while and said, man, this person's incredible. Jesus takes his shepherds and his servants equally importantly. He sees them both equally importantly and he demands the same level 
of passion for him and maturity as he does for the shepherd. As far as female deacons are concerned, some translations say the wife of the deacon. The word there can also be translated the woman. And so uh, as we look at this, remember the elder list had no qualifications for the wife of the elder, which seems kind of odd, isn't it? And the overseer really, really want you to live above reproach but couldn't care less what your wife's like. That's odd. It's odd. No, 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 no. Cares a great deal, but that wasn't part of the list because the wife isn't going to be an overseer. But here it's like, listen, man, whether it's your wife or whether it's a woman in the church that's stepping in, here's what needs to be true. Dignified, honored by both men and women as an exemplary Christian without character defect. Not slanderers, not malicious talkers, not prone to sins of the tongue such as gossip, slander, or lying. Sober-minded, temperate, not proven to emotionalism. Faithful in all things, trustworthy in everything, faithful in all life's roles, in mother, wife, daughter, sister. And then for the men again, husband of one wife, a one woman man sexually pure and manages his children and household well. He is a godly husband and he is a godly father. The only thing on this list that does not exist as a qualification is able to teach. Should deacons teach? Sure. But do they need to be able to teach in order to step into this role? No. As an overseer, if you're not able to teach, you ought not to be in that role. Because the role by definition demands protection, demands provision, demands trailblazing, which demands teaching. The deacon role demands serving, executing, leading within the church to make it all happen. That does not demand the ability to teach. And so the authority of trailblazing, protecting, and challenging, providing, sits with the pastor, elder, overseer, and the deep and wondrous privilege of executing, leading, and affecting ministry sits with the deacons of the church. And this is the dynamic that God lays out for us. He wants the men and women of the church to be leading and serving beside one another in the kind of relationship that dynamically points to the marital relationship established in Genesis, which dynamically points toward the God and man relationship that is described all over scripture. And this is how we get to make the gospel known. So how do we play that out here in Mosaic's context? How does that happen in our world here? Well, over the last 12 months, as we studied this issue, as we dug into it, as we looked at it, and I've just skimmed the surface today because I only have 45 minutes, but as we spent months as an elder team working through this and as leaders in this church working through this, we discovered that though functionally we can say that our elders are qualified and amazing men that do this and are able to do all these things and the deacons we have are qualified to do this, here's what we figured out. One, our elders are men that meet together once every few weeks to live here in this big picture world, blazing the trail ahead for us, but the reality is our elders are not felt shepherds in this place. I mean, I bet if I asked how many of you guys actually know who our elders are, I'd see very few hands go up. 
You may find out that you actually do because you have been shepherded by one of them, but you wouldn't know as an elder, and that's a huge miss on our part. Our elders are called into a board that basically manages vision, doctrine, and direction and discipline, which is a part of the role of elder, but it is not the exclusive role of elder. The role of elder is to shepherd, to teach, to mature this place. And so we realized we have a big miss on that, so we went back and we restructured the expectations of what it means to be an elder around here. We said, yes, there are going to be elder teams like the vision team that is setting directional pace for us in strategic ministry, like the teaching team that you see on the stage here, preaching and teaching, guys like Brady, Joel, and myself, uh, and Phil, uh, like teams that will be the prayer teams praying over the sick and going to places. There'll, there'll be teams of elders, but you, you, you shouldn't even be on one of those teams if you're not already shepherding in some way, uh, leading by providing sound teaching by protecting against false doctrines and false teachers and by trailblazing for the deacons executing ministry. So we've restructured the entire way elders are going to work around here so that all of our elders will be well known to the church as people who are deeply involved in shepherding us, caring for us, watching over us, and especially caring for the many deacons that will be executing ministry around here. And we have a, a, an elder covenant and a two-year, one to two-year elder process to walk through, to be discipled into, to become an overseer, an elder here. And then the deacons, we did the same thing. We reworked deacon from top to bottom, rewrote the expectations for deacon, looked at the biblical call, what does it mean to serve the church in multiple contexts, what teams do we have, where do you lead, what do you do, restructure that whole thing, and then put together a plan to identify, invite, call, and release deacons once they are, have gone through a process. We've got an entire process in place now where deacons are moving forward. And we are looking ahead from here going, if we're going to become the church that I preached about last weekend in the vision talk, the church that is committed and mature and dynamic and missional and, and devoted and passionate and loving people, loving God, all this crazy cool stuff, being discipled and discipling, we are going to have to have great leaders in this church among the overseers, elders, pastors, among the deacons and among the saints. And so we are producing that 100 miles an hour. Here's what we have so far, just to give you a quick picture of where we have come from. Okay, in elders, January of 2013, we had five elders, five elders. And they were on a little board leading you in the invisible realms, right? In January of 2014, that's right here, standing here, we currently have 10 elders that are qualified biblically, incredible men that are ready to begin to shepherd at high levels in this place. In January of 2015, we anticipate having between 12 and 15 elders. You say, that's not a huge increase. Do you know what the process is to become an elder around here? It ain't gonna happen overnight, folks. I hope we have many more in process, but we will have 12 to 15 qualified, finished the process. There are some in process right now that are, that are working through. And then in January 2016, we want 20 shepherds in this place dynamically shepherding us, protecting us, watching over us. Deacons. January of 2013, we had 10 deacons serving almost 2,000 people. They're dead now because we burned them to death. 
um, by accident. No, I'm kidding, they're still alive, but they were going to die. Because for deacons to affect ministry at a high level, that doesn't work. But here's the other thing we found. We had a number of people functioning as deacons around here, but they weren't deacons because we hadn't identified them because they just kind of went like this. I'm willing to serve and I'm gifted, great, plug in. So we, we, we have all sorts of deacons here doing all sorts of amazing things that may or may not qualify, we just don't know. So we went backwards and we started a journey identifying who is doing what and beginning to take them through the discipleship process of deacon. In January of 2014, standing here today, we have 50 deacons in this place. 50 men and women that are deeply engaged in the deacon process, understand the expectations, have qualified, and are executing ministry around here. By January of 2015, we will have 150 or more deacons in this place. We already have a boatload that are stepping into the process. And January of 2016, we will have between 250 and 300 deacons leading and affecting and executing ministry at Mosaic Church. You know how I know we're gonna have all of this? Because I'm gonna ask God to stir your hearts up. That's right, you think, oh, I'm just gonna hang out and be a saint. Good for you, not, not here. <laughs> See, it's time for us to step up and to say, you know what, maybe God is calling me to increase my involvement and to step into the process of deacon or the process of elder. Now I know the first thought you have is, oh, I, I heard the list of qualifications. I mean, it's gonna be five minutes, pass, fail, done, I'm done. And I go, listen, our heart is not a pass fail on this one. You step in the process, we'll check you, we'll dig into your life, and when your wife says, he was mad the other day, done, elder, done. No. Uh, here's, here's John, he tried to be an elder, he failed. That's, that's not the heart. The heart is to say, if you sense a calling in you to step into the elder position or a calling to step into the deacon position, we want you to trust us enough to say, through the process, the heart is to identify where you may not yet qualify, and then to disciple you into qualification. See, everything on the qualification list has nothing to do with what's, uh, what can only be in some. It is a mature believer. That means anyone can be qualified if they choose to pursue Christ at that level. And so if you want it, we can disciple you into it. And you may already qualify. Let us be the ones that help you through that. If you go, I, I don't think I'll have the time. Let us make that decision because we already know what that looks like. My heart is that every person in this place sitting here in five years from now would at least be deacon or elder qualified if not functioning as one because that really is just the call to be a mature follower of Christ. That you can say that list, that's how I live and that's what we want for you guys. So as we step into this journey together, I think a good starting point is that you would know in this place who is shepherding and leading you. Now I'd love to introduce you to all the deacons today, but that's gonna be a 49 minute video because we have 50 of them. So we're not gonna do the deacons today, although you will begin to see on the website all of the men and women who are deacons here popping up and we will, we will make a time to really have you get to know our deacons well. But I think it is important that you know who our elders are and that you begin to identify them. They'll be on the website from now on, they'll be everywhere. So you can go, those are the guys that are to be protecting, providing, and shepherding this place, trailblazing for us. So if you would, take a look at this video and meet our 10 elders. Hi, my name's Renaud and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Mosaic Church. My wife and I moved to the Orlando area in 2002 to plant Mosaic Church 
because we really want to change the world with the gospel. And Orlando seems to be a city that the world comes to and then goes out from. And we thought it was a great platform and a great place to see that world change begin. We also have an incredible family of eight children, which takes a lot of work, but we love it. And it's my privilege not only to be the lead pastor here, but also a dad and a husband, and it's what I love most. We have enjoyed thoroughly our journey with Mosaic and continue to be shaped and changed by this place. Hi, I'm Phil Taylor, and my family and I moved here from the Northeast to be a part of Mosaic's story. And I love serving as the executive pastor of leadership and development here. And that is just a fancy way of saying that if Renault is the visionary, is the dreamer of our team, my job is to come alongside of that dream, to come alongside of that vision, and figure out the steps that we have to take in order to see that vision become a reality. My name is Rafael Cardozo. Uh, my family and I, we've been going to Mosaic here from day one. And as a matter of fact, um, I was at the first service at the Legends uh, Clubhouse. Outside of Mosaic, I've been working in the logistics industry for uh, over a decade, and uh, hopefully what I learned in the business world, God can use to um, help you know, shape things here at church as we seek His will to do what God calls us to do here. Well, hey guys, my name is Joel Kaufman, and I have the incredible privilege to be able to serve as the student ministry pastor here at Mosaic, um, which really encompasses middle school through college and the young adult. Uh, stage and uh, man I just love being able to invest in the next generation um, really seeing people uh, step into their relationship with God at a young age and being able to set up their lives for uh, a future lived on mission for God's glory. Hi my name is John Palmer I've been with Mosaic for many years I've been part of the deacon and elder teams for many years as well I'm married to Tedesita Palmer we have five children together my wife and I actually met on the mission field in Brazil, uh, which we were part of for many years. I also work as an executive in a hospitality company in Orlando. I am very privileged and thankful that I'm able to extend a message to the team that I work with, with Christian principles. I'm thankful that my boss gives me the leeway to do that and it's helped me to be very appreciative of how God can use any role, any position to promote His kingdom and to reach people that may not be able to be reached otherwise. My name is Gabriel Forsyth. I'm the pastor of Community and Mission. What that means is I oversee all of our missional communities and our global mission. I regularly connect with our missional community leaders and encourage them as well as connecting with our global missionaries and church planners that we support. I also help all of you get connected to a missional community and uh, to be equipped for missional living. My wife and I love being a part of Mosaic Church. We love being a part of a church that is gospel-centered and is working diligently to make disciples both locally and globally. We are so excited to see what God does in the coming years. Hi, I'm Mike Ben. I've, uh, I'm an elder here at Mosaic Church. I've been uh, at the church for a, for a while now, and uh, I am uh, married to Shelley, and uh, we've got two amazing boys, Jack and Ryan. From a work perspective, I work at, uh, at Disney. I've been with the company for 15 years. I'm in a business development role, and uh, again, love being a part of the, the Disney community and seeing how Mosaic's influence uh, within Disney is, is going to grow in the, in the years ahead. 
Hello, my name is Brady White. I am the campus pastor at our Campus for Walt Disney World cast members, so I get to hang out with cartoon characters all day long, which is pretty fun. I also am on the teaching team here uh, for Mosaic as a whole. My wife and I moved here uh, back in 2009, and we have been involved in this crazy story ever since. The passion that God has given me and the calling that he's placed in my life is twofold. To look into God's worth, to mine truths out of it, and to share what he has laid on my heart. Um, and secondly, to be able to shepherd people from the beginning stage of their relationship with Jesus all the way into maturity. Uh, this works itself out so well at the Disney campus because there are, I don't know if you know this, 62,000 employees at Disney World and like 55 million tourists every year. Disney is like a launching point. So we get to pour into their lives great truth, to take people who are enamored by the world and hold up Jesus and, and watch them become enamored by Jesus and then go out and take what they have learned here, take what they've experienced here, and go use it to change the rest of the world. My name is Rick Shreve. My wife and I, Raquel, have been attending Mosaic since it was about three years old. We have five children and we love coming to Mosaic. I spent some time here on staff for about four years. If I were to say in, in a few words what I love to do and why I love the church, it, it is to steward the Bride of Christ to her greatest redemption. Presently, I am the Director of Christian Initiatives at the Central Florida YMCA, and we're excited about the future of Mosaic and what God's going to do here. Hey, I'm Sean Starbuck, and I have the honor to serve you guys as worship pastor. Uh, my family and I have been here uh, pretty much since the beginning of Mosaic and uh, are excited to see what God's going to continue to do uh, through this incredible story. One of the best things in life for me is to see uh, God connecting with you guys and, and for me to be able to be used uh, to usher in His, His presence and His revelation and see people really get free and to, to enjoy God's presence. So you've met our elders here at Mosaic Church and they are a great team of men. We believe that when the scriptures say that it is good to aspire to the role of elder, that that is a call to action for those who have that, that calling placed on their life. The fact of the matter is that God absolutely loves the church and he takes very seriously the people that he puts into shepherding positions over that church. That's why he has such high standards for the elder pastor and we are excited to see God call men into that role here at Mosaic to shepherd and lead this church into its future. If you sense that that's something that God is calling you to, if that's a calling that God is placing on your life, we want to hear about that. Send me an email and we'll figure out what the next steps are for you. You know, if we get this right, this uh, issue of leadership, of shepherds at this church, then everything else will fall into place. And if we don't get this right, well then frankly nothing else will matter a, a great deal. So I can't wait to see what God is going to do through the process of becoming elders at this church and shepherding this church into its future. So that is the team of men that I have the incredible privilege of working alongside as we together shepherd, protect, 
and, and watch over, provide for, and trailblaze for this place. And it is a privilege for me to be one of the elders here that works with a team like that. We also have two guys currently that are elders in process. You'll hear about elders in process a lot, as you will deacons in process. These are people that are uh, from, from every level, seem to qualify at the base level, but now are going through that 12 to 24 month uh, journey of really working through all the stuff as we uh, weed through their life and disciple and see and test and approve. Uh, that is a guy named uh, Taylor Allen. He is the campus pastor of our Winter Garden campus. Phenomenal guy and uh, excited to watch God uh, bring him into the story of elder. Uh, he has a long history of ministry, but he's just been here for a short period of time, uh, just a few years, so we have not been able to watch him the way we want to watch someone who steps into the elder journey. So he's going through the elder process. And then uh, Paul Mesha is another gentleman in our church. He's an attorney in the local area and also has given hours and hours and hours of his time here over the last two years as I've gotten to know him as he served here um, in, in, in many ways in a staff role uh, just without um, uh, receiving any compensation. And, and you'll see that a lot. Uh, our elders and deacons, uh, the staff or non-staff is sort of almost an irrelevancy. Uh, that's just what they do. Some of the guys that are elders are pastors here and some of the guys that, that are elders, pastors, are, are working in the secular environment spreading the gospel there. So you're gonna see that a lot both in the deacons and the elders. Uh, as we engage them here. If you are here and God is stirring in you to step into this, men and women, listen, since we hold to a complementarian view here that both men and women ought to be leading this place in significant ways, uh, I would just ask you to begin to prayerfully consider whether this is a time for you that the Spirit is calling you to step into the process of being a deacon in process or an elder in process uh, so that you would allow us to work with you into those qualifications and see you stepping in to leadership roles here. If that's what you're sensing, if, that, if you've sensed the Spirit doing that, then, then make yourself known to us because we're really excited about where we're gonna go. Let me just take a minute and pray for us and then we will worship together. God, thank you for the relational dynamics that you set up on planet Earth in the family unit, in the uh, church uh, community, and in the way we handle those around us, including the way you've revealed yourself to us, uh, to allow us to recognize and see uh, how we relate to you. May we in this place, above all else, have a passion to guard the gospel and to make it known in every dynamic that we can. And as we do that, God, would you give us the heart to lead well and to shepherd well and to serve well in the positions that you call us into as bond slaves of you, Jesus. God, thank you for your incredible love for us. Would you just use us in mighty ways to make your love and redemption and freedom known to the world around us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.